just do what the Bible says. You know what? That's not always great advice. In fact, if you really just followed that advice, you'd probably get arrested at some point. And it can be really confusing what rules to follow that the Bible says and which one's not. And then you take your own nuanced, individualized situation and try to apply a like blanket rule to that, it gets difficult. And in, and then you add the fact that doing what the Bible says is used to justify some pretty weird and horrible stuff and has been for centuries. And honestly, it seems that doing what the Bible says can really mean whatever anyone wants it to mean. But at the same time, the Bible is where we discover who Jesus is, what God's love is really like, how it is, it's guided and changed lives for the better for thousands of years. So what do we do? How can we read, understand, and even use the Bible properly and not just use it to justify whatever we want? That's a great question. So let's talk about it together. When we talk about doing what the Bible says, what we're really talking about is everyone's favorite word, authority. We're talking about the authority of scripture. And have you ever heard that phrase? Does it give you a good feeling or a bad feeling? I think people are mixed on that. See, the authority of scripture has been used to guilt, burden, and coerce people for centuries. People have tried to justify themselves, uh, their ego and their desire for power by telling others they need to submit to the authority of scripture. And then they make the biblical writings say whatever lines up with what they want that person to do. But think about it, why would a, any collection of ancient writings have any authority over us now? I mean, sure, they might tell us what ancient people believed and what their religious rules were that they followed, but how could these writings have any authority for us now? And so I think we need to get one thing clear from the very beginning. See, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he didn't tell his followers, Hello, I'm alive again, and... By the way, all authority has been given to the books you are going to write about me. No. You know what he did say? He said, hello, I'm alive again. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So in reality, all authority belongs to Jesus, not the Bible. And this might seem like semantics, but I think it's really important for us all to get on the same page. Jesus followers don't follow the Bible. They follow Jesus. The foundation of Christianity is not a book, it's an event. Jesus' death and resurrection that proved he was God and has all authority in heaven and on earth. See, there were Jesus followers hundreds of years before there was a the Bible. And so with that true knowledge, what do we do? Like, do we just throw out the biblical writings because, well, they didn't have it at the beginning or we only obey the stuff we like? Like, what is the point of scriptures? The real question is, if Jesus has all authority, what role do the biblical writings play in Jesus exercising his authority? And it's not by providing true info about God, which they do, but it's not why they're authoritative. And they're not authoritative because they give us a list of rules to follow and rules we can check off and, and search to find loopholes because, you know, section 5A, paragraph 2, line 6 says, you know, it's not actually a sin if you pray first and it's a Thursday. 
And they don't exercise Jesus' authority by being quoted to guilt and condemn and even dehumanize people who don't follow Jesus. No, the biblical writings are are authoritative for Jesus' followers because they are what Jesus uses to actively carry out his purpose in his people. It's how he shapes and transforms his people to be his people even more. See, Jesus uses the biblical writings to shape and transform his people to be his people in his kingdom. So how does that work? That's a great question. And to answer that, we need to go back to what we talked about in our last episode, the six-part play of God's story throughout humanity. And that's how we see Jesus' authority is exercised through the biblical writings. See, as we allow the writings to inform how we play our role in our part of the story. We allow them to tell us who God is, who we are, why the world is the way it is, and who Jesus is, what his purpose is, and what it means to be a Jesus follower. Theologian N.T. Wright put it this way, We read scripture in order to refresh our memory and understanding of the story within which we ourselves are actors, to be reminded where it has come from and where it is going, and hence what our own part within it ought to be. So, for a Jesus follower, all of the biblical writings, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Jewish scriptures, the Christian scriptures, are uniquely authoritative, but in different ways. See, the first acts of the play that we talked about in the last episode, the Old Testament, give the foundation of the story, who God is, who we are, what's wrong with the world, how God implemented his plan to fix it. And then the climax of that story is the foundation of our own story. See, like a good sequel, we can watch a sequel and and a good one and and enjoy the merits of the movie on its own and, and enjoy the story and what happened. But to really understand and appreciate the true depth, the true story, is not fully understood unless we know the beginning of the story. And the Jewish scriptures are authoritative, not because we follow Israel's rules, but because they give the foundation for our part of God's story. Which is why the first Christians, the first Jesus-following sermons, explained that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament story. Look at Acts and and Romans, what Paul wrote in in Galatians. The first Jesus-followers used the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, to explain who Jesus was, why he came, the purpose and the effect of his death and resurrection. But... They also recognize that the laws in the Old Testament, in the Jewish scriptures, are done. See, Jesus replaced them with a new covenant, a new agreement between God and humanity, and only one rule, to love each other as I, as Jesus, have loved you. See, they recognize some parts of the Old Testament script no longer were relevant for their ongoing life. Not because they were bad or less inspired by God or or explained a different God or whatever, but because those parts belonged to the earlier parts of the story that had now reached its climax. They were part of the earlier acts of the play that had now passed. Another analogy. If you go on a trip to Hawaii, which I have never done, but I hear it's nice. If you go on a trip to Hawaii and you you get on a plane, and then once you take that plane and, and you land, you leave that plane, don't you? after you land and you get to the the rental car place. That plane that got you to Hawaii wasn't bad. It it did its job, but it simply accomplished its person. You've left its purpose. You've left it behind. 
It's still part of the story. It explains how you got to the rental car area. You are still the people that got to Hawaii from the plane. But for the remainder of your trip, the purpose of the plane is fulfilled. The rules of the plane are, as the author of Hebrews wrote, obsolete. The New Testament is the fulfillment of the story told in the Old Testament. Which is why we don't stone disobedient kids anymore. Which is why we do eat pork now. Which is why we don't need a temple or even a building to worship in. Because that part of the story is over. And the New Testament writings are a new constitution of a, a new covenant. Of creating a new people in a new kingdom. In the New Testament writings, we see who Jesus is, what he taught, what he did, the, the truth of his death and resurrection. And then we're told what it looked like to live all of that out, all of his teachings out in the first century. And now our job in the 21st century, actually my actual job now, is to take what that meant to live as Jesus followers in the first century in their time and culture and use it to inform what we do as God's people, as Jesus' people in our own time and culture. Which is why we don't condemn men for having long hair, even though Paul called it a bad thing. Which is why we don't require women to cover their heads and on and on and on because that was part of their culture that no longer belongs to our culture. But we do believe everyone has worth. We do work to help and lift up and empower the marginalized and the forgotten and the abused. We do bear each other's burdens and, and strive to forgive as we have been forgiven. And we hold unity as a mark of truly being a Jesus follower. Why? Because the New Testament writings weren't given to be a rule book to show us uh, in real life examples what it means to live out the kingdom of God. No, they've, they're used to show us how to know Jesus, to love Jesus and follow the law of love. Like, think about it like this. I know, another analogy. When musicians improvise together, right? When musicians improvise, it doesn't mean it's just a free-for-all and everybody can play in whatever key they want and just, and just go crazy. No, they're free to improvise within the framework that's already been set by the, the chord progression, by the key they're in, by the rhythm, all of that. So by carefully listening to other voices around us, and remembering the early parts of the song and the, the rhythms and the themes and the harmonies. We can now add our own fresh expression, our own voice, as it adds to the rest of the music. Maybe one more analogy will work. See, just as every artist is confined within the limits of, of what colors our eyes can see, every artist is free to create their own masterpiece within the law of art or the law of color. I don't know what it's called. But Let's think about it. The New Testament gives us the colors with which we can paint our own masterpieces of love within the law of love. So now, yes, people disagree at times about which colors are best or whether or not a certain artists are painting outside the canvas of what we're supposed to paint. And that's why it is so important to always revisit, to always question and explore and study our current understanding of the framework that we've been given. See, the New Testament writings are authoritative because they are what Jesus uses to create the framework within which we can improvise our part of God's story. So no, it's not a free-for-all, but it is freeing. It is empowering. It, it gives life and it gives purpose. 
because we can have our own story within the framework of the larger story. And now specifically how we use the biblical writings to do that, that is what the next episode is about. But in the meantime, I encourage you to let Jesus use the biblical writings to shape you and to transform you. Best place to start? I don't know, maybe it would be what we call the Sermon on the Mount, the, the summary of Jesus' teachings. And so maybe this week, let's read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the summary of Jesus' teachings. Read them fast in one sitting. Read them slow and meditate on them. Get the big ideas and then narrow in on specific parts, whatever is working for you. And then pray this, very simple. What picture, God, do you want me to paint today? Read the framework and then ask, what picture can I paint within this framework today? See, we are all invited to play our role in the grand story of the universe. We are all added to, or we are all invited to add our own melody to the great symphony of love. We're all invited to paint our masterpiece on the mural of God's story of renewal and redemption and true life. The framework is there. The framework is here. So read it. Use it. Let it guide you. Let it transform you. Become who you were always meant to be. Discover your role and add your part to the kingdom of God. Jesus' authority through the biblical writings transforms and empowers us to play our role in God's kingdom now. wrap on part two of how to read, understand, and use your Bible. Part three is going to be coming out next week, so stay tuned for that. If you watch this on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe and ring that notification bell so that you know when our upcoming episodes are launched. Uh, also, you can subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app. This content is put out by Cross Creek Community Church. We're a church in Salem. We have a website. We have a welcome form. If you're watching this, and you haven't connected with us yet, feel free to fill out that welcome form and let us know that you're watching. You can say hi, we can start a conversation. You can even ask for a free Bible, which I'll mail to you. We have in-person services that happen second and fourth Sundays of the month this summer. June 26th is our next in-person gathering, 4.30 p.m. We will meet at Gateway Forsberg Church on 525 Idlewood Drive, South Salem, Oregon. Thanks so much for watching again. Thanks for liking and subscribing. If you'd like to help us be for Salem and for our neighbors, the way we're doing that in June is through a food drive for Samanka Place. You can bring non-perishable goods directly to a church gathering in June, June 26th, or you can donate directly through Union Gospel Mission to Samanka Place so that they can buy the necessary items to feed the women and children that are staying there. Thanks again for watching this content. Thanks for being for Salem and for your neighbor. Remember that Jesus loves you and we encourage you to go ahead and read through the show notes through the main points and the weekly challenge of reading Sermon on the Mount this week. We'll see you next week for part three. Enjoy the sun.